When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen, would you welcome the 1981 Toyota Australian Open champion, Martina Navratilova. Of course, the car is part of the prize, hence the key. We well, haven't really got a spare hand there, Martina. Perhaps if I could hold the key, that might be better. Um, well, as I said before, we can't really sum up that match in a sentence, but I know you're elated at winning a Grand Slam championship. How do you feel? Well, I was as nervous as I've ever been. I think uh, I was even more nervous than I was at the Open. Uh, but uh, God, I, I thought I was going to have a heart attack at the end. I was really... <laughs> Hard to believe that was 40 years ago, the 1981 Women's Singles Final of the Australian Open between Martina Navratilova and Chrissy Everett. For many generations, when you think of watching the tennis on TV in Australia, the voices of names such as Gary Wilkinson, Alan Stone, Bruce McAvaney, Sandy Roberts, and our next guest come to mind. And you may have heard our next guest's voice just before. And for many years, Peter Landy called some of the biggest moments of the Australian Open and also served as the master of ceremonies when interviewing some of the sport's biggest names with his work not only broadcast to local audiences, but also throughout the entire world. He also saw the gradual transition of the tournament from a humble setting at Kuyong to the massive event that it is today and facilities envied across the globe. It's great to welcome Peter Landy on the line to gain his perspective and memories of the Australian Open. Pete, thanks for joining us. Hello, Damien. How are you? Not too bad. Does that bit of audio bring back any memories for you? Well, it does. Uh, it brings back a lot of memories. And, of course, we go back to 1988 when the National Tennis Centre, as it was then known, or Flinders Park, before it became Melbourne Park, was uh, uh, sent on its way. And I was MC of the night, so I was rather chuffed about that. Well, to give you an idea of how much has changed in that element, Peter, these days the presentation of the trophy at the Australian Open involves grand speeches and trophies on a fancy dais. But when you were the MC of that women's final, which I played before at the Oz Open 40 years ago, you were tucked up in the grassy corner of Keyong presenting a giant key to Martina Navratilova and having to hold it for her as she delivered her speech. Are you amazed at how big the Australian Open has become since those humble days? Well, the Australian Open is now an event rather than just a tennis tournament, Dame. It isn't it? I mean, yeah. it really evolved once it moved to Melbourne Park, as we know it now. And it's hard to believe that it was at Kuyong for so long. I mean, John McEnroe at one stage referred to Kuyong as a cow paddock, <laughs> and something really had to be done. It was very, very difficult. And John Kane set the ball rolling along with Colin McDonald, who was then the uh, CEO of uh, Tennis Australia or the LTA. As it was then, and uh, the end product, of course, is Melbourne Park as we know it today. That's right. Now, were you a fan of tennis growing up, Peter? I played a garden party variety of tennis, Damien. <laughs> I don't think you could call it any more than that. I loved the game. Um, as uh, somebody once said, you don't have to be a murderer to be a detective. <laughs> well, just on that, I mean. 
what was the first ever tennis tournament you remember being involved in as a broadcaster? Because in your early days, you had to be a jack of all trades, didn't you? You did. And uh, the first Open I did was 1977. That was Vitas Gerolaitis against John Lloyd. And that had its drama as well because uh, Vitas, the American, uh, rather flamboyant sort of a character, he was injured in the latter stages of the match and we all thought John Lloyd was going to come over the top of him, but uh, Vitas slugged it out and was victorious. And the same year that uh, Yvonne uh, won the Australian Open, yep. 1977. That's right, and that was a year after I think Mark Edmondson won in 76 and we haven't had a male Australian win no, the Australian Open right. since. He beat Nuke. That's right. That's changed a lot since then. We're speaking with Peter Landy here on SEN. What are some of the main principles you adopted as a tennis commentator? Because there was that transition in the 70s on television from virtually the description of every shot as if it was a radio call in the black and white days to the style we know of today where you let the play continue while remaining silent and then you give the comment at the end of the point. I think it was an evolving situation, a bit like calling the football as well. When... um television started commentators were doing basically a radio call that they were used to in previous years and then we sort of learned to let the picture tell the story and augment the picture with whatever information you had in front of you to make it a little bit more palatable to the viewer tell us about what a typical day was like for you at the australian open because they can be long days at the tennis for those of us who have you have worked at that tournament particularly during the oz open how are you able to fit in all of the preparation as well in the lead up well a lot of it was um, made available by the women's tennis association and the atp and if you're doing a day shift at melbourne park for instance you would go to the appropriate desk and the uh, Information would be centre court draw, Margaret court draw, court three, court two, and so on. And if you were doing a match on a certain court, you'd get the appropriate information provided for you basically by the, uh, as I said, the WTA and the ATP. And you'd uh, burn up on it. But uh, I also did my own research as well. So it, uh, you, you had plenty of stuff in front of you to comment. Well, you were the MC, as you mentioned, for many years after the singles finals where you interviewed the players and they were broadcasted around the world back in the days before there was a main world feed. Are there any memorable exchanges that come to mind? No, most of the players were pretty cooperative, actually. Oh. Gary Wilkinson and I, who uh, I still keep in touch with, we've been uh, friends for many, many years, and Alan Stone, we did the tennis together for 20-odd uh, years. And... Uh, it was decided that Wilco and I should alternate doing the player interviews and match introductions, and we became very firm friends. You mentioned that a lot of the players were cooperative. Was there any particular... Oh, yeah, look, some yeah. weren't. I mean, uh, in the early days, we sometimes talked to the loser as well. That's not done these days. The loser <laughs> just gets clapped off the court, and yeah. that's it. Sayonara. Um, but uh, sometimes at Kuyong, if a, a top-seeded player was ousted by uh, whoever, we would try to talk to them before they left the court. Some were cooperative and some weren't. You can understand that. That's true, with the emotion of the play. Who did you enjoy interviewing the most, or is there a group of players in particular that come to mind that you really got a lot of value out of? Well, there are some players <laughs> didn't like talking to. Yeah, I think that's that, right. You could probably slot in Jay McEnroe there. Oh, really? Um no, look, I didn't have any favourites. Most of the players were very, very cooperative, both women and men. Some were moody. You knew the ones that were moody, uh, even if they won, and you treated it accordingly. And uh, we got along fairly well with most of the players. 
We're speaking with Peter Landy here on SEN, great tennis broadcaster throughout the 70s, 80s and 90s. You mentioned the rapport you had with Gary Wilkinson. You worked alongside some many great former players as well, such as Wendy Turnbull, John Alexander, Sue Barker, etc. Did you enjoy working with names of that calibre and did you develop a good rapport with them as well? I got along very well with everybody. I like to think. Um, the first one I worked with was Neil Fraser, actually. My first tournament was up at Mills in Brisbane. Um, and as I mentioned, I worked with Alan Stone for many, many years. J.A. was great to work with. Um, they're so easy, those guys. They make it very, very easy to the, uh, the host and what have you. And their knowledge of the game is second to none. Just a few more before I let you go, Peace. Throughout the 70s, 80s and 90s, and without Gary Wilkinson actually on this program, we talked about how the players were probably a little more open to spending time with some of the commentators back then and they were a little less segregated compared to today. Did you ever get the chance to get to know many of the players or did you steer away? On a rain delay in Adelaide, I remember years ago... Um... Everybody was congregated under cover and we were having a few beers because <laughs> we didn't think it was going to be any more play that day. And uh, it, it was almost like a party. Um, <laughs> we got to know a lot of the players after that. And as I said, when you do the circuit for 20 odd years, you come up against the same players year after year. You get to know them very well. Uh, we had some funny instances along the way too, I think. Um, <laughs> worthy of mention... One year, I often get asked, is, what was the funniest thing that happened to you at, yeah. uh, on the circuit? Well, it was at White City in a match that Billy Nastasi was playing in. And Billy, you'd be very familiar with his antics. And uh, there was a base linesman, got off his chair, walked up to the central umpire, and we were a little bit quizzical as to what was going to happen. So Wilco just said keep quiet and I did and Rowling kept quiet and the base linesman looks up at the central umpire and he said Nastasi just called me a beep <laughs> and he said not only that he said I was old <laughs> <laughs> well we we were all three of us pressed the cough button because we just hit the floor laughing the switchboards around the network lit up like uh, Christmas trees, so you can imagine the reaction to that. In the papers the next day, they were calling for courtside mics to be banned, <laughs> all that sort of thing. You can imagine a tennis tournament or any sports telecast without microphones uh, providing the crowd. So uh, luckily that didn't happen, but it was a very funny afternoon. You'd probably get away with it today and no one would notice, which is probably a sad oh, thing. Oh, <laughs> not, not, with what, not with what this guy said. <laughs> <laughs> We're speaking with Peter Landy here at SEN, some great memories. Tell us about the opening of that new National Tennis Centre as it was at the time, Rod Laver Arena as we know it today. The 88 Australian Open, it was a magnificent event. Was that the most significant change you saw in your time covering tennis in this country? Because it attracted players from all over the world after that, the Oz Open. Well, a lot of players refused to come to Australia because Ku Yong, as uh, mentioned previously, was not highly regarded by anybody. And the time slot wasn't great either over Christmas. I mean, the, uh, the tournament was around Boxing Day and that didn't suit a lot of people from uh, anywhere except Australia. Um, but 1988, it all changed. And Pat Cash, who played the last final at Wimbledon, at, at, Wimbledon, at uh, Ku Yong against Stefan Edberg in 87, was also... Uh, lining up for the final against Matt Solander. Yeah. Um, and it was an absolutely titanic match. I think it looked, 
even to this day, is one of the best matches I've seen. Volanda um, got up to win 8-6 in the fifth in about four and a half hours. It was a, a, a match for the ages. It really was the best I've ever seen. Do you remember the day Centre Court flooded back in 1995? Because you were at the microphone with John Alexander and I think you had to fill 20 to 25 minutes wondering what the heck was going on. <laughs> Did you know from a very early stage that something was a little bit off? Well, it was amazing timing because um, it was a very eventful year, uh, 95, because the quarterfinal that year between Pete Sampras and Jim Courier, uh, who Sampras won, I think, 6-3 in the fifth or thereabouts, that was the year when he found out that his coach, Tim Gullickson, was terminally ill. And two days later, when the court flooded, it was, as I said, a convenient time because Agassi... And Christine had just concluded, I think from memory, Christine retired, yes. injured. And then the court all of a sudden started to flood because it, you could hear the rain teeming outside. I mean, it was coming down by the five-ton truckload. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, Rod Laver Arena is uh, about six inches underwater. It was amazing. Oh, yeah, it's still replayed to this day, no question. It went around the world, that footage. After you retired, absolutely, it was on CNN and everything. After you retired, I've heard Bruce McAvaney actually speak about this recently because he gave away the tennis a few years ago. Channel 7 no longer have the rights. But the first year after, I think the final of the first year after he stopped, he struggled to actually watch the final because he wasn't there. In the first couple of years, did you miss calling the tennis? We hear of athletes going through withdrawal after they retire. Can it be the same with commentators? Oh... Wilco and I have discussed this uh, a couple of times, and my re- I, after I left Channel Seven uh, around about 2000 Sydney Olympics time, uh, I did some commentary for the international feed, working with Fred Stolly, yep. and that was fine. But I was doing the day shift, and then it became apparent that I was to do day and night shift, and that was just a little bit too much, so I pulled the pin. Uh, do I miss it? In certain aspects, yes, but not working 14, 16 hours a day for two weeks. It's uh, something that I just wouldn't want to do anymore. And as I let you go, Pete, do you follow the tennis stars of the present day? Are you a big fan still? Are you a fan of players such as Ash Barty, Novak Djokovic, etc.? Oh, Ash Barty, don't you just love her? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I really hope she can go on and win it. Uh, it'd be fantastic if she could. Uh, I, I believe she can. The way she started, I mean... Uh, she gave her opponent the uh, double bagel in the first round match, so she's in great form. But, of course, you've got to look to Serena, how how well she's playing. I mean, she's into the third round already. Um, it's between those two, I think. Uh, for the men, eight times winner, Djokovic, he had his work cut out today before he won in four. Uh, Nadal, you've got to take into consideration because he's Nadal, but how pity is, I don't know, because he's got a bad back. And I guess we'll find out in the next few rounds, won't we? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Pete, really appreciate your time. Thanks for reminiscing with us and all the best going forward. Thanks, Damien. Nice talking to you. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.